You're listening to The Echoes with me, Emily Andrew, the self-development podcast that explores personal stories, powerful tools, and an insight into the wide world of mental, physical, and spiritual health. Get ready to get curious, be inspired, and connect in. My guest this week is Harrison Ward, also known as The Fell Foodie. Harrison is an outdoor cook, hiker, and mental health speaker, and has appeared at various festivals around the UK and other speaking events, as well as appearing on Mary Berry's Love to Cook TV programme. He developed a love of cooking from a young age and described himself as a happy-go-lucky child until puberty hit where he felt as though he was suddenly hit with depression, as if out of nowhere. In our conversation, we chat about his life and how he came to use alcohol as a way to manage until 2016 when things came to a head. This podcast explores the topics of addiction, recovery and suicide and Harrison shares some of the ways that he found that helped him to where he is today, seven years sober and a soon-to-be published author. So without further ado, Here's my conversation with Harrison. How are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's nice to get this uh, getting recorded. I know, I know. It's, I'm really excited about today because you were one of the people that I had the pleasure of meeting at the big retreat. Um, I feel like I've got like a big retreat collection going on this podcast now because I had Chris on as well, Chris Goldsmith, and you actually did a really great talk with him and Matt Pritchard, which I briefly touched on in that podcast. So to have you here and to dig into who you are and what you're all about is something that I'm very much looking forward to. So thank you. I guess the best place to start is, can you tell me in your words who you are and what you do? Yeah, so so my name is Harrison Ward, uh, perhaps better known as the Fell Foodie. Uh, I'm an outdoor cook. Uh, these days based in the Lake District, and I'm known best, I suppose, for taking my camping stove, uh, pots and pans and all various implements up to the top of the mountain in the Lake District and further afield and trying to prepare restaurant-style meals out in these wonderful natural locations. Uh, but I suppose I'm also known a bit from my, my backstory in terms of how I found the mountains, how I uh, found that solace through means of recovery, um, battling sort of mental health, battling other sort of ailments, and using nature really as recovery. So I speak very openly about that these days about my own battles, um, sort of in present day as well as the past. But yeah, I suppose that's a a brief, a brief overlay. <laughs> I literally say this all the time, but it's so hard to put your life in a nutshell. And I have so many questions. I could attest to your cooking skills because I tried some at one of your demos. Also, your glamping tent was not that far away from mine. So I got to smell all of the delicious things you were cooking at the <laughs> festival, which I was very jealous of. Um, but yeah, so you know, you're you're out there in nature, you're cooking. How have you become this kind of social media presence? Because it's you you've got you seem to be everywhere this year in terms of festivals, in in the work that you're doing, and it's obviously because you're very good at what you're doing. But how has that grown for you? Well, that's very kind. Thank you for saying so. I'm uh, I forgot you saw me cooking outside the glamping tent as well. It's a uh... I suppose a rare change for me being on brand at a festival. Usually I'm enjoying some of the nice foodie vendors and having a break. But <laughs> for that one, I had to know, did a few cook-ups on the evening. So it was nice um, having a bit of chill time in between as well. Um, but I guess it took me a very organic journey, really. It was never something I set out 
to become what it is. I never aim to get a certain following or never aim for this to now become what is my, my job. I suppose I'm doing this all the time now. It's just very much had that natural or snowball effect from the moment that I began sharing um, my life, really, I suppose, on, on social media. So I hadn't had an Instagram account before at all before I started this account. I had never used it before. I, I barely used likes of Facebook and things other than just keeping keeping up to date with what friends did. I think back in the previous sort of life I was living, I mean, some of those memories pop up sometimes and it's some god-awful shots, usually just a pint pot on the bar and me missing a train again was about my only updates, I think, on the regular. But, <laughs> but I'd always like sort of my cookie. I'd always like preparing things at home and I always like to present things quite nicely when I was out and sort of trying to improve that presentation style and my own sort of, again, cooking ability. So I would take little snaps here and there of stuff I'd made. Again, personally, it's a little personal record, I guess. But then someone basically suggested, I think I was hounding someone at work one day uh, in my job, sort of in that district, and they said, oh, why didn't you get an Instagram account and actually start posting these pictures on there? And I thought, you know what, I don't want to be that person sort of posting pictures of their dinner. I mean, I've been labelled as that way again. And, but I didn't want to put it on my personal Facebook too. And sort of, again, my friends label me as that person either. So I gave up this this pseudonym. So I hid behind this this name, I guess, Fell Food that I came up with, merging those two passions. I was loving heading out into the fells that time. And I was loving sort of cooking at the time at home. So it seemed like quite a nice little wing to it, fell foodie, and began anonymously sharing basically pictures of my dinner at home and the views I was experiencing on the fell top. And it took a few years down the line before I eventually started sharing more about me personally and actually revealing who I was. Although I think a few friends by that point had had the, uh, the iPhone notifications going, this guy's one of your contacts, you know. <laughs> Do you follow him? So maybe that, uh, my game was rumbled slightly. <laughs> um, but it just sort of went from there, and I shared this story for the first time. It led to having the opportunity to do a little blog post uh, for a local sort of outdoors uh, magazine that then led on to an old, an old peer back from my hometown who worked in national, um, local television, asking to sort of cover a little piece on the local news about what I do. And it's really just naturally developed from there to the point that maybe now six years down the line from when I started, I'm doing this sort of full-time, quite regularly at festivals, talking about what I do, still enjoying the fells, and I guess carving a little random niche for myself as this uh, <laughs> as this mountain cumbrian cook i think it's such a wonderful niche as well because it's so authentic and it is just it is just you and i think that understanding and hearing a little bit more about where what brought you to it all it just brings that extra bit of I was about to say spice and I was like, I'm using a, fo a foodie term there, but um, it just, yeah, it just brings a little bit extra to <laughs> it. And um, terrible jokes aside, I think that it's something that is so beautiful because you're, you're posting some of the most important things for you in your journey, but actually it inspires other people to get out there and also lean into the things that they perhaps once loved and have lost in adulthood and just to give it a go and try it out and adventure. And I think that that's something that's really to be celebrated and really wonderful. Well, I'm glad it comes across that way. I guess in some formats there, there are other semiotics at play, I guess, towards this, that perhaps I don't really aim to to achieve those. But, you know, there's, there's a very human aspect to it as well, I think, about sort of maybe things eating, sort of eating together, eating in the outdoors. It was quite a primal sort of activity. And even more in sort of modernity, where we used to gather a lot more um, sort of cooking around the sort of the dinner table on a Sunday, perhaps with the family. And again, we're moving away from those sort of times now with the busier lives we lead. So for me, just sort of slowing down a bit in nature, taking the time to enjoy some nice food with those sights, sounds in that environment just allows a different connection with nature in a way and allows sort of an escape 
from a lot of the stresses we have in, in modern day life. So although it's not always, you know, I'd never push these things or preach these things for people, it's just kind of quite a natural thing that I've, I found that I enjoy doing. But if you do sort of break it down, I suppose I can see where the links come into play that obviously have also benefited me mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. How did you end up on the fouls? How did you get there? How did that become a thing for you? Um, tell us a little bit about that that journey. Yeah, so I suppose it, it, it should have happened a lot earlier than it did. I mean, I, I brought up just outside the Lake District. So I'm from Carlisle originally, so not too far at all, literally maybe a half an hour journey on the motorway and you're in the lakes. But really the closest we probably came was, was coming as a family for little day trips here, just for a form of coffee and cake really in, a, in Keswick or Pooley Bridge and didn't really take on the fells that were close to home for, for, for quite a long while. I suppose, you know, I was quite rural upbringing. I enjoyed the outdoors. I enjoyed little adventures, enjoyed team sports, but never found myself ever really going for a walk and found the idea quite boring in, in reality. <laughs> and although it was a stone's throw away, again, just really took it for granted, just took it for granted how how special the area was on the doorstep and where, where I did grow up. But it wasn't really until later life that really I came back to to discover these and be introduced towards um, hiking, I suppose, and, and exploring this area that I was, I was blessed to grow up in. And and it took quite a quite a rocky journey to get to that point too. I mean, I suppose overnight during my, my teenage years, I found myself um, literally going from this quite happy-go-lucky, no real worries, um, to to being sort of hounded by this sort of self self demotivation and this sort of mental affliction that came just overnight, almost just like something that came through the puberty aspect for me. I think that was really the journey of what I now know to be the start of uh, my journey with clinical depression, and it. Something that I didn't really know I was going through. I didn't know um, what I was suffering from. I felt very alone, but also felt something that I didn't want to share with anybody else. I felt like I'd be a burden by doing so. So I was quite this extroverted character. You know, I like to sort of chat to anyone sort of thing. And again, I like to make people feel good. So if I was talking about myself not feeling great, then that wasn't going to be someone that I deemed was going to be that nice to be around. So I guess I put on this mask for quite a while and just continued that way. Uh, throughout my sort of teenage years so again the fells were very distant at this time the outdoors was quite distant um i did a bit of cycling around my local area and stuff but didn't really use it. i would never say i was an outdoorsman that time i'm an outdoors enthusiast probably the opposite really i sort of liked like my football and like to sort of stay in and play, play the playstation i guess and rock up at school at last minute to uh, <laughs> do what was required i guess but during all this time i was working a lot in the hospitality trade i found myself working from about 13 just washing pots in a local pub and and I was waiting on at a restaurant down the road. And as the years went on and got to 18, I was able to sort of start working behind a bar and start sort of dispensing alcohol. And this really opened up a whole different chapter in my life where, again, I was meeting people from all sorts of different works of walks of life that I hadn't really come across before. I hadn't really been someone that was ever really going out underage or even drinking really at home and enjoyed that social aspect that was quite in nature of my character. So sort of meeting new people, having that chat, could chat to anyone sort of thing and was now having that both in a work setting and as a social setting after work. So under the guise of being social, I guess, I was starting to drink a bit more um, at 18, that rite of passage, that sort of cultural thing we have here in Britain as well, around 18. And again, blokey, I suppose, trying to be someone that could maybe handle my beer a bit with this, all the older boys in the pub and, and keep the conversation going. But for me, it was something that early on, it was something that sort of took me um, to places I'd not really experienced before. And I suppose I was, I was getting drunk very quickly at the time. And I was a few beers and I was stumbling home up the road and that was it. But tolerance began to build over time. And I also found that it was also allowing me to shut off my own head, shut off those thoughts I was going through. So those those dark moments I was experiencing where 
perhaps I wasn't wanting to be here, battling sort of my own existence and constantly putting myself down and not thinking I was good enough for any sort of situation, was silenced with, with the use of this, this, this substance. So that became something that I quite quickly wanted more of. And at the time, didn't see it as anything other than that sort of social lubricant that it was and that quite natural thing that we do. At 18, we come of age, we go out and that's it. We go down the pub now and we go to, into town in the bars and, bars and clubs. By the time I moved to York um, at 19, I went to university in York there. Um, I was already quite regularly drinking sort of most days at this point. And sort of, again, just under that social bit after football, working a lot more shifts at the pub. I found myself quite quickly falling back into that environment when I moved away to this new city. And growing up quite sort of rurally, I guess, I mean, Carlisle's where I say I was from, but I was actually a little town just outside. So there wasn't really much of those amenities around and the place sort of shut down quite early. And now being in the city and walking distance from all these bars, clubs in the early hours, it was kind of a bit kid in a sweet shop, really. I was sort of now I had access to this much bigger, this plethora of these different environments of different people to, to sustain what was this, I suppose, social battery in a way. But for myself, it was something that quite quickly began to snowball in the trade, that my, my studies fell by the wayside. I was drinking every day at this point. My, my health was starting to look quite different. I'd put on a lot of weight. And at one point, I was coming in sort of in excess of 22 stone, putting on about six or seven stone in, in quite a short pace of time, about six months of being in York. So quite a noticeable difference for friends and family of how I'd gone. But I suppose this was now the physical outlet of what I've been going through internally, now sort of coming to the forefront. So I was drinking most days, drinking myself to sort of blackout, to shut out, to shut those thoughts off. My tolerance had increased. I was drinking more and more and more to get to that point. And again, was making some very unhealthy choices on the way home in my diet and a lack of exercise. And in the city now, I was kind of just in that in that adult sort of rat run, I guess, through my studies and through work, which then began to fall by the wayside. And I went full time into the industry. So couldn't be further away from the fells at this point. It sounds like you've done so much reflecting on the journey and you understand and and everybody that listens to you can really see the natural progression of how that happened for you like the like the dissonance between how that your internal world and your external world and how alcohol just became kind of the the way to escape and to be kind of accepted and to cling on to those parts of yourself that you really enjoyed the social aspect the happy-go-lucky you know that that kind of side of things and it's so easy as as an outsider to to see that and to resonate with that was there any point before this where you did think or question like is this a problem or do you feel like at that time you know before or you were able to look at all this was it kind of a head in the sand thing? Were there certain things about life that were becoming more difficult? What was that experience for you? Or, did, or do you, did you feel like it was just, you know, this is what everyone does. Everyone just drinks like this. I think the alcohol side, I hadn't really um, ever really deemed myself as having a problem or deemed myself to be, you know, sliding down a slippery slope. I mean, perhaps the mental health side of things, in the early days when I first started suffering maybe through teenage years, I didn't know what it was and I had nothing to really refer to. There wasn't there wasn't really the same role models going on there. The internet was in its infancy, so you weren't hearing many articles about things going on. I wasn't really reading much, I suppose, um, maybe showbiz press or papers. So I wasn't hearing any of these stories really other than the real, real dark side of, of the demise or perhaps, you know, 
the substance abuse thing. So for me, it just seemed quite a natural path um, in sort of the, the, the alcohol world at the time, but not as a means of, of anything other than sort of trying to solve my own my own head. So it felt like something that I was going through, nothing else, and this was my cross to bear and kind of just get on with it. So again, perhaps that mantra of, you know, keep calm, carry on, that sort of, you know, that blokey sort of, again, just, just grit, grit it and carry on sort of mantra. So I didn't really ever share those what I was going through. And again, the alcohol was, was in the pub environment too, especially maybe as, 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 a, as a bigger sort of bloke as well, carrying yourself. It was all around pretty much how much you could put away, you know, not wanting to look as if you could have a few beers and fall over. You wanted to be someone who was a good drinker. You were pushed into that. It was everywhere around 18. All the parties are going that way. Moving to university was all about how you meet people. We didn't go out on the freshers' week, sort of in the pubs, and the student unions, you wouldn't meet anyone. So every scenario was always revolving around that. So quite quickly became something that I enjoyed, therefore I wanted more of, and probably lacked that moderation side of things, which I think is quite a common theme for me <laughs> throughout um, later life as well. But something that at the time, it, it just was quite naturally, I, I, I guess I just saw myself as a, as, a, as a good drinker, someone that could put a lot away. I didn't see there's any other problem at all, just other than, um, yeah, I put the practice in, that's what I did. And by the time it came my full-time entity too, I just used to dub it really as sort of product research. It was nothing more than that. But <laughs> I suppose from the outside, you know, there was definitely um, a level I was drinking more than my friends, a lot of my school friends that I'm still very much in touch with now, didn't really go through the same sort of lifestyle. I suppose I was quite solitary in my life in sort of your sort of bouncing from group to group. Because people didn't really run to the same sort of timetable as me. So I found I'd sort of literally bounce between groups that would suit what I wanted to do. But again, looking back, it just seemed bonkers to really even see that. I mean, surely the, the, the problems are there to be seen. But because I was bouncing group to group, I suppose other groups weren't seeing the entirety of what I was doing. I was living away from home. I didn't have many close friends coming to visit and stuff. So the, the signs didn't really come to, come to a head. And I suppose being quite an extroverted character too when I did meet up social situations again it was kind of like put the mask on it's all grand here we are we'll just have a bit of a joke and a drink and he's just a bit more portly he's just a bit more weight on like it didn't really seem as if there was the the pathway to where I'd gone and and it was something that didn't really come to a head until until really I, I hit my worst and I had a couple of rock bottom moments that I'd look back and dub them now one that um I had a lot of friends come to visit me so my 21st birthday in York and we had sort of, you know, a big celebration as you would do another milestone birthday that, again, typically British, what should we do? Well, we get absolutely off our face on booze and have a big, big five-day bender, which, again, run of the mill for me at the time. <laughs> but towards the end, it, it started to really dawn on me the fact that these friends were all going back home again and I was just in this city going about my business day to day, not really having any close relationships other than the bartenders in town and the takeaway owners I'd stumble into on, on the way back. And, I think I just felt very alone all of a sudden and really come to a head while I was masking. I mean, I was at this point, I did see alcohol as a medicinal tool for me at this point. So I knew I was suffering from something now. And I, I, sort of, I had been diagnosed with sort of depression um, by the GP, but hadn't sought any help, but kind of pushed it away and gone, no, no, I don't want to change myself. I don't want anything that's going to compromise me as a person. I've just got to grin and battle on with this and didn't share it. And one particular walk home um, that evening, Again, completely under the influence, just realizing really that this was no longer providing the escape that, that I was wanting from it. And I was battling with suicidal ideation quite a lot at this point and had decided that really enough was enough. And um, about early hours of the morning, I picked up a payphone. I didn't have a phone at the time. I was very uh, reclusive. I didn't like to be tracked down, didn't like to be pinpointed anywhere. 
and I made a call home to my mum. And a few calls there, she answered. I don't remember too much of the call. I, I was just right off my face, really. But I remember my sole intention was was to say goodbye, and, and just really didn't feel as if I could go on another day. Alcohol was no longer providing the outlet for me. It was getting me through each day, and that I didn't really see another another choice in the matter. Um, that's that was sort of stage one, I suppose. That was the point that I really hit. A, Maybe a, a, looking back, it was a cry for help, I guess. It was something that at the time I, I, I saw it as a bit of a chink in the armour and I let people in. I didn't really want to reveal that inner truth, but I did seek some medical help at the time. I returned home to Cumbria very briefly. Obviously, my mum had known a close friend had, had helped me get home from York, but I wasn't willing to change at that point. So I, I booked a ticket back to York and I carried on this exact same lifestyle for another five years, still highly functioning, still working, working my way up in hospitality to point of management by the end but literally just drinking myself to blackout every night and just yeah just just existing just existing day by day and during this point I mean I found myself in a relationship you know, in York something I, I guess I'd always really wanted that sort of something to share life with and experience that sort of you know love of another person and and enjoying those nice bits that really I was as an individual I was just kind of compromised by this affliction that then developed into this substance abuse and but the two sides of me were kind of, it was kind of like I was in these two relationships, one with her and one with one with the alcohol. And, and the two were sort of were almost hidden lives from each other. They didn't really correlate. They didn't really overlap. I mean, there were certain social events that there might be an inkling. I suppose, I was again, I, I, they could see I was a heavy drinker at the time and someone who liked to drink. But again, like you do, if you don't see someone too often, you just think, oh, they're just, they just put a bit away. You don't sort of add it up and start going, oh, they must be doing this on a daily daily practice. And at the time, I guess I was literally waking up and brushing my teeth for this stuff. It was it was it was it was ridiculous really. I mean I was drinking in excess of over twenty pints a day at this point. I, I was a full time smoker. I was living inside the pub. Um so literally I lived and breathed that lifestyle from the minute I got up to the minute I literally closed my eyes at night, which was often me falling asleep before I'd even got into bed because I'd just fall over on the way there and just black out really. It was just a, a bizarre situation to look back on. But during this point I guess there were certain moments of Looking back, I suppose potential arguments really that were maybe little interventions from my partner at the time that always just forced me straight back into the pub to drink, drink it away, and not really face the problems, just just avoid them. And on one of these occasions, I went out and acted acted unfaithfully to this partner. I'd met someone else in this bar and I'd kissed this other person in the bar, and it, it resulted in the end of that that relationship, which which rightly so was was the end of it, and. But it also really opened my eyes to really how far I'd fallen. For the first time, I felt as if I, I'd, I'd very much compromised myself as the person I deemed I was. The values, if someone asked me to describe myself and who I felt I was on paper, it was very different to perhaps the, the life I was actually leading and the life I was you know, portraying and how I looked. But the fact I'd gone out there in, in honesty and sort of integrity and loyalty and acted that way to someone that I loved or saying I loved, just... Almost pulled me out of this, this, this masking, this, this sort of misting I'd gone through with what I deemed as the elixir at the time, just liquid blackout. And it was that really moment, the sixth of June, twenty sixteen, that that relationship ended. But I also started to end the relationship with alcohol. So I come to terms with the fact that I was an alcoholic at that point. I felt as I was powerless over the substance. It just literally played a part in every moment of my life. It was the sole focus I was going through, and that something had to give. And I could no longer stay in this environment I was in, in that job, in that city, with the connections I'd made there. And I made the decision to leave that city literally that night, overnight. A bit, yeah, just, just a, 
an absolute right turn moment, just a moment that one minute it's all going fine. Well, it's, it's not fine in reality. You know, it's completely, <laughs> it's shakily going along the track, but literally in, in a moment, everything has just crumbled beneath me. Those foundations have gone and the whole life I'd built for about seven years in this city, through university, knowing that environment, that was my career. That's what I was good at. I, you know, I was, I was almost my personality was, I was a big drinker. That's what I go out and do. I was just a socializer in the boozers. And overnight, I'd, I'd returned back to Cumbria. I threw my hands up in the air. And for the first time in my life, came clean to friends and family that I was not okay. And, and this had been a problem for a long time in my life. And I was, I was never really facing the music. And the alcohol had been the way to mask this. And so often, I think we see this with substance abuses in various bits, that that is the bit that is blamed almost. It's, it's the alcohol that's done that, or it's the, the drugs that have done that. Or, or again, people see people seek out um, vices for different means. but for me, it's always the root cause of what has pushed you towards that in the first place, be it sort of grief or be it this mental illness or be it some other um, situation you're in. And, and it had always stemmed from that, that childhood battle, I guess, overnight with almost hating myself and hating the fact I was living each day. So, it was, yeah, overnight I came clean for the first time, 12 years in silence, spoke out. And, and I guess really that was me trying to become accountable for my actions try to seek forgiveness and try to begin this really, I deem this journey into redemption, I guess. It's so interesting that the moment of you calling your mum and going back and having that almost dipping your toe in the, actually, this isn't right. And then it carrying on for that time, like kind of being like, oh, actually, no, this isn't like, I'm not, not, I'm not ready to change. Like, I don't want to change fundamentally who I am to go to the moment where you acted unfaithfully and felt like actually who you were had been totally compromised because the values that you held really dear had been broken it's really interesting to see those two things because I think many people would probably switch it the other way around and say actually you know this this moment where I feel like life is unsufferable and I can't live it anymore like that, that sometimes for, for a lot of people is that, that they're rock bottom. But I think it's an important point that rock bottom doesn't always have to look like having suicidal ide- ideations. It, it obviously is a, an extremely important flag, if not a rock bottom. But sometimes the thing that we need to change our direction isn't the thing that we think it would be. No. <clears throat> I think so. And I think I think it's important, as you've highlighted there, that everyone's not everyone hits a rock bottom, but also everyone's rock bottom can be different as well. I think it's that sometimes it might take a bit more to to get to that realization. Likewise, with the alcohol side, although I do talk about you know the levels of consumption I was going through, I don't think that that number is is definitive of the problem you have. I think sometimes it could be if you're having one glass of wine a night, you might that might be having an effect on your life. Therefore, that is a problem if it's a problem to you. So I mean, it's very individualized. I think it's easy to sort of compare ourselves to other people and go, well, my time wasn't as bad as theirs. Or I'm not drinking as much as them, so I'm okay. But it's very individualized, I think, on those points. But for me, I guess I just built that tolerance over time. There was a bigger set chap. And I just really, looking back again, retrospectively on it all, I think it was, I never wanted to be that burden onto other people. And I didn't mind inflicting further pain on myself. I was battling my own head each time. I was I was basically pulling myself through each day as it was. But the minute that that had then 
had an effect on somebody else through my actions was was the moment that really I think I was brought up to be someone that always held your hands up when you did wrong sort of thing and it was kind of I felt as if I couldn't shy away from that moment and I had to own that that mistake and it just it it just kind of it, it, looking it was an epiphany sort of moment really in the whole thing of looking at yourself and almost looking in the mirror and going what has gone on here like where have you taken yourself to and then realizing the fact that I didn't want to be a burden to other people, but I've been a burden for the last probably six, seven years, the way I've been acting. Like, you know, I wasn't appreciating that at the time of how much an effect what I was already doing was having an effect. Because you look at those around me. My mum said at one point to me a few years ago, she said that she'd often, she'd come and visit me in York and she'd try and sort a bit of life out and get a bit of, I suppose, um, organisation to my life because it was just kind of scatty. I was functioning over my job, but it was literally in, out, out in town. Home was just somewhere I rested my head in the evening or literally well close my eyes at night really and she said she used to go back sometimes and just have the realization that you know she, i think she could see maybe where i was not to full extent no one knew sort of the actual numbers of things there but she, she said she just to cry herself to sleep thinking that you know if she, the, the years down the line that she maybe wouldn't be here you know and she passed away that i'm still be in this cycle and you know she just saw this you know this vision of me falling out of work falling on the streets and drinking my life away which Although I never got to that level, you know, it wasn't far away really from living sort of very much on that borderline of when I was living in the pubs, for example, I, mean, I was penniless on sort of money wise, you know, sort of p- pinching where I could to get my fix and, you know, no money there, racking up all this huge debt via credit cards, blowing through an inheritance. I mean, a disgusting amount looking back at how much really I wasted, I suppose, just down my neck. And if, if it hadn't have gone this way, I mean, it's, it's a very difficult one because I still don't can't really comprehend how I did that at the time to someone that I loved. But I did it, and I had to I had to own that. But looking at all of our outlets and all the different situations, I couldn't see any other scenario that, that, that almost led me out of this path. Because inevitably, that relationship was going to end. It was going to end. It was sooner rather than later. We were about to move in together. You know, that my, that's my secret-ish life would have been more revealed. We worked out different shifts when we lived separately apart. I was able to weave in that lifestyle around meeting her. That would have been come to fruition. You know, at the time, I was literally wet in the bed each night for drinking that much. I was waking up sort of in a piss soaked mattress. If I was living with her, that sort of thing had happened. It happened a couple of times together. That would have become more of a reality. You know, my finances were all over the place. We were about to go into the flat. I didn't have the money for the deposit. It was all starting to come to a head. So it, it would have come to a head and it would have ended. But I think every other scenario would have resulted in me going, oh, woe me, drinking further down and drinking myself into that oblivion. Because I was very much someone that at the time said, alcohol, celebration, commiseration, it's there regardless. It was kind of, for me, it was, no matter which way around, I drunk it away, drunk the problems away and just shut the head off and almost allowed myself to escape briefly from living in the moment. So, yeah, it's hard looking back, but I mean, in reality, there's a great quote I love about alcohol being a brilliant dissolvent, you know, a dissolvent of relationships are dissolvent of finances but never a dissolvent of problems and looking back really there were moments of ultimatums from friends from close friends from school that I'm very lucky to still have in my life at this moment when I had that turnaround point could have been so different but these were the people really then that rallied round and were integral to the next steps of me pulling myself out from that life I lived and I never forget that and it is a privilege really being in that space because some people go past that point and that unconditional love from family and friends can run out at times and I think I'd pushed that quite far but I hadn't pushed it off the edge just yet and 
looking back, I don't think I appreciated at the time, perhaps, you know, how close I was to those moments where I just thought, this is me, just, just doing me, just carrying on, just getting through each day, just literally dragging myself through life mm-hmm. and not really achieving, not really making much of a dent. But the reality of how much it was sort of hurting around me was, was yeah, a, a difficult, a difficult realisation, I suppose, during this whole moment of, uh, of change. And I think it's so, it's so easy to hurt yourself. Like, especially if you have this inner dialogue of like, you're not good enough, you're a burden. Like, you know, you, and you have that, that disconnect between the person that you're portraying and the person that you feel like you are inside. So it's so easy to go inward and to kind of punish yourself for that. And, you know, I can relate to a lot of what you said, like I've had problems with eating disorders and then when I recovered from my eating disorder I actually started drinking and became a little bit problematic with that I don't drink anymore I'm four years sober but my I I have I had times in my life where I was probably at some of my worst moments and I just thought well it doesn't matter to anyone else what I'm doing and and carrying out these eating disorder behaviors because it doesn't hurt anybody else but it was so interesting I actually found a, a letter that my sister had written me and there were things in that, like, you don't realize the little things. I used to watch people as they ate to try and gauge how much I could have. I used to, and we, we do these things subconsciously because we're constantly kind of trying to validate our behavior by looking at other people around us. And I know when I was, when I used to drink, I used to be the person that was pushing it on everyone else. Cause I was like, if you drink, then it's okay for me to drink. You know, we've had a hard day. Let's get the rum out. And that would be great. Yeah. And and you create, you know, you, you, you try and create this reality to make yourself feel better in order to punish that kind of inner voice, but you end up, you know, people see it, even if we think that we're being so secretive and so clever with our behaviors, there are some people that can kind of, even if for a moment, even if briefly see behind the mask. And I think that can feel really unsettling if we're at a place where we're not ready to look at that yet. Yeah. Perhaps we sometimes think we're better actors than we actually are. Don't we? I think at times, and I suppose it comes to a point that as in all these things, you have to be at the point of wanting to almost change yourself. And you can make that change. You can't almost bring someone to that point, the whole horse to water sort of mantra. But yeah, as you were saying before with those things as well, do you think it's, I've looked back sometimes and often think that, again, I went to AA for a brief point as well through this this journey and sort of sought all my help medically, went to therapy sessions, tried to really come to the crux of what I was going through, but really always found that there was always a big, big, almost a blame culture perhaps, certainly on vices, I think, always blaming the fact that alcohol has done that to me, that's caused me to go down that channel, or the drugs have caused me to do that various bit there, or perhaps, you know, it's the, the mental affliction that leads to various other elements. But for me, it was always that root cause. I think ultimately, all I ever wanted was to be happy and to not be going through these problems. And I think a lot of us, that's where we all fall in that same parameter. We just want to be happy. And we almost get that sort of hit, that dopamine hit, if you will, from different different vices some of those are positive some of those are negative so for me it was via alcohol it's probably through food as well I mean food's still a struggle now it's a big passion in my life but it's also something I struggle with the moderation side I mean I was joking I was the same with alcohol cigarettes as I am with biscuits you know can't put them down half the time <laughs> but yeah, that way the same with the drugs sort of thing some people find that as that escapism that relaxed moment you might get things more adrenaline side you might get sex you might all these different platforms I think are ultimately just to give us that sense of happiness and fulfillment and that's why we go for these things so 
it's it was channeling those in a different way. So for me, during this other path, Alcorp sort of felt like it couldn't play a part in that next journey, or at least it was, I was going to try for it not to. You know, I'd be lying if I wasn't trying to, you know, make this change to win this partner back because that's exactly what I was trying to do at the time. You know, I can change, I can change, all that sort of stuff. And trying to go through this new path. So I went home, came clean to friends and family. And I basically threw myself into fitness because there was this huge void in my life that alcohol had left. And again, at this point, you know, I'm, I'm grossly obese, really. I'm kind of, I've not done any exercise for about six years. I, I've just I've stopped smoking at the same time. I've had sort of threw my last pack of cigarettes in the bin. I think I even quit sugaring my coffee on the same day. I think I was really going for the... Uh, the full trinity at the time yeah <laughs> but literally again just life has completely just absolutely life has just completely crumbled i mean everything i'd built had gone who i was an individual and just very exposed and very vulnerable so i think i had two ways out really of this it was kind of trying to raise my head up off the ground but it was kind of putting myself underground full time there were only really options i felt at the time but fitness was that one i tried to push myself into little by little at the time trying to fill that void that alcohol had left in my life. I mean, it was literally what I did every single day. So at first it was just a few sort of walks, taking the bike back out. I started going to the gym and friends who had sort of, you know, responded to that message, that sort of that open up that I, I had started to turn up to sort of join me on these activities. So they joined me sort of for a cycle or they took me out to the gym or we went for a walk somewhere else. Or again, we did things around that didn't involve alcohol. So we'd go on different activities or we'd go for a coffee sort of thing. And I never wanted to be a stigma though. I never wanted it to be a taboo. So I always, still forced myself into those environments and I had a friend's close friend Stagdy that came up quite quickly in sort of my journey to sobriety and everyone was going you shouldn't go on that sort of journey you know it's going to be too temptation it's going to be not right for you and I was going I'm going on this Stagdy because I'm not I'm giving him alcohol I'm not giving him my life you know this is one of my close friends I'm going to be there for one of his celebrations like it's yes it's going to be hard there's going to be a lot of temptation for me and again another quote I loved was about you know heading to the barbers and it said the more time you sit in the barber's chair the more likely you are to get a haircut and I was kind of putting myself in these scenarios more often, I guess. I was going to take myself to the pub by myself, which, again, people were like, I couldn't do that at all. Or, you know, I was maybe going down the alcohol aisles at the supermarket because I appreciate it so much. Alcohol plays a big part in a lot of people's lives. It's always going to be there in culture that I couldn't be someone that was going to be like, I'm going to stay away from this for the rest of my life. So it's going to play a part, but it had to feel natural and sit with me because I still enjoyed that social aspect as well that I'd left behind. That was always me at the heart. That's, that's why I sort of found myself into that cycle. Um, but one particular friend then turned up on the doorstep and said, uh, we're going to go for a hike in the Lake District. So at, at the time, again, I knew nothing to expect. Again, I just started this fitness journey. I was about two weeks now off that moment, that 6th of June, that complete rock bottom moment, trying to force myself into this new bit, really walking in blind to this new lifestyle. And he said, let's go for a hike. And again, so knew nothing what to expect. Didn't have any equipment, didn't have any kids, didn't really have any money. Well, I didn't have any money. And just put on what I had, you know, some, some old old sports shorts I think I had in, in, in the drawer at home, just a scabby jumper and some trainers that were well, my smart trainers, but were probably as good as a pair of bowling shoes that was all scabby off the counter. You go in there and he just sort of took one look at me and said, you can't go like that. I mean, the state of And as we went, we drove into Lake District down the M6, sort of Carlisle past Penrith, and he pulled off and went to this outdoor store and said, let's get you a pair of boots in there and I was going you know well yeah, I can't afford these boots really mate like I can't I've just got to wear what I've got because it's all I've got and he didn't say anything he just walked in what's your size got these boots and just bought these boots on the counter and bought me these boots I mean it was just like a, again a huge show of faith and support and again these people that rallied around at the start I mean I, I can never really repay the thanks enough for, for how much they pulled me out of this moment because I think alone I'm not sure if I would have made these sort of steps and that moment of huge gratitude and that show of faith about half an hour later 
um, wasn't quite the same when I looked up at this mountaintop <laughs> that he pulled up at the base of. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we literally pulled up at the base of Blencathra at the time. That for those knowing the latest, it was one of the higher mountains. And here's me just literally, you know, I hadn't done any exercise for years. I'm going, oh, I'm not going to get up this hillside. And literally, off he goes up the hill going, what do you do? And I'm just staying at my feet, basically being marched up this hillside. And I mean, God knows how long it took there, but we eventually made this, <laughs> this mountain top. And uh, he just looked at me and said, right, well, well we're doing Helvellyn next week, which was, which was the third highest mountain in the area. It was 950 metres and was like an absolute stone staircase at the summit. So again, three weeks round from this turnaround now, I've just put myself as this little steady fitness journey, trying to get things turned, trying to lose a bit of weight. I'm straight on to, right, OK, we're getting marched up these hillsides. So it was like basically military training, I think, for me. <laughs> so I mean, I'm just so clouded. I mean, I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm pining for my ex, and I'm going through this sort of banging headaches of withdrawal from from alcohol. I guess I went cold turkey overnight, which, at the level of consumption I was having at the time, um, is not medically advisable, really. And it was kind of just something that, just yeah, I suppose from the actions I'd gone through, just felt as if this all had to change. I had to sort of try and redeem my character, I guess, in a way, and basically right my wrongs and try and seek forgiveness from. For what I'd caused, and it began this new sort of this new passion, reaching the summit of that mountain top, looking across. We had this beautiful blue sky day again, looking down at the mountain tarn and the ridge line of the of a stride and edge. It was it just it just really sung to me, and I was going through that that high that endorphin rush of reaching the top. That physical activity I'd been doing, and although I'd been gasping for breath probably about fifteen minutes prior, I was suddenly now taking in this vista and going, "This is amazing! I can see why people do this." And that high was lasting a lot longer than perhaps any high from alcohol had given me or any sort of brief moment I was getting of that floaty, nice drunkenness I'd go, I'd get to or want to want to achieve before I fell off the edge and went into blackout and went into this absolute mess. But it, so it just continued this new path of, of going further and further for different mountains. And Scarfell Pike was a week later. We were down to sort of Wales, even Snowden in a month, up to Ben Nevis back then. And this complete sort of change in this new path of finding the mountains now as this means of, of of a new journey. And, of course, I was starting to lose weight at this point. I was getting fitter. I was being able to do more. I was pushing myself on further. And I was getting that good feeling, which was pushing it into my life elsewhere. So I was eating a lot better. I'd gone back to sort of cooking, which was always a passion from a young age. I was cooking from scratch at home, thinking about how I was fueling my own body for, for body and mind, because I felt like if you were going to fuel a car to go 100 miles using a bad source of fuel, it wasn't going to make sense. So I was trying to fuel myself properly to try and give myself the best chance. Of course, I was three, three, four months off the cigarettes at this point as well. So my whole body's going through this major, major turning point, major change. And whilst I wasn't winning back that partner I was still striving for, you know, I was rebuilding a lot of relationships in my other life and I was rebuilding new steps in terms of, you know, finding another job again, trying to get on the career. My finances are improving, my health's improving. So there was lots of positivity coming from those moments. And um, again, I felt like I'd found somewhere that, that I belonged and felt quite, quite fitting in. And, and just very human. I felt somewhere where I where I belonged. I mean, I felt outdoors was kind of what we were designed to be be doing and where we were designed to be. And for me, I was so lost for multiple years, I think, of not knowing who I was and not knowing what defined me. And it felt like when I was out there, and I was, again, quite solitary still. I was still doing a lot of these walks with myself. I was running now at this point as well. Being out there, either with my headphones or in my own head, just feeling quite content with where I was and where I was moving forward to. And it was it was just, yeah, a real... A real awakening, really, looking back. I was going through quite a quite a spiritual phase, especially that first three months that there was a moment three months in that 
I felt as if this this lead balloon that was pushing on the edges of my cranium was just popped one day, like it literally just burst, and I I, I almost felt like I could feel the emotions as if I was quite, I was just numb, numb to that, just nothing really bothered me. It just I just just march on through, and I almost felt like I just had a much better understanding of some things there. I felt like I had a much sense, much greater sense of purpose, and. It was a bizarre, I mean, it's probably a bit floaty at the time, probably should have put on the outside, probably went a bit too far, but it was. <laughs> uh, but at the time for me, it was just something that I suppose I'd sedated myself for so long that all of a sudden feeling feelings was was, was a very uh, unique situation to be in. But mm. again, it, it carried on this new path that then later evolved into, into where I am now. It's changed your relationship with alcohol. It's changed your relationship with cigarettes. It's changed your relationship with exercise. Do you feel like, your journey into nature and your your re embracing, I guess, what you loved doing when you were younger, which was cooking. Do you feel like that changed your relationship with depression as well? It's an interesting conversation, isn't it? Because I mean, people often see these sort of turnarounds as that was the point that he got over that or he cured the depression sort of thing. And mm. for me, there's, I've always seen it as almost as different types of various depressions or various mental ailments or mental illnesses and. I think some, sometimes they can be very short term. There can be, be moments that you might have, um, you might sort of again bring upon via behavior. It might be a situation you're in that could force you into that. It could be an external factor that forces you into these shorter bouts. So it could be more longer term where it's more of an affliction or something, you know, perhaps even chemically wrong, which I think is more where I've sort of sat sort of overnight, not really going through a particular moment of trauma. There's no sort of looking back going, well, what was the moment that triggered that in his life? You know, what happened then? Did he see something on? It was just literally going through that hormonal change of puberty. It just seemed to maybe a, just a switch didn't quite transfer over. And I just all of a sudden was almost overthinking everything all the time. And kind of, it gave me a very inquisitive mind, but it also meant that I'd completely pick, pick myself apart, pick every scenario I was doing apart as well. And that was kind of something that, you know, was a crux in itself. So that was something I had to really shut off. But the cure aspect, I think, yeah, it's something that it's definitely changed our relationship with it. I think it's allowed me to understand a lot more. It's allowed me to understand how to manage it a lot better. So for me at the time, I think it was quite a you know big peaks and big troughs at the time, where there were still some good days through that. And don't get me wrong, it wasn't it wasn't twelve years of literally every single day is just dragging myself out that out, out the door. You know, there were some days that were worse than others, but some days were great. And some great, even the alcohol days. There were some days that were fantastic that I had really great experiences and great memories with dubious memories, I'll say, because. Again, they always went to blackout, but <laughs> but likewise, it was something that um, there was peaks and troughs. Where these days, I see it as much more of a gentle, a gentle slope. So there are the ups and downs still, but they're by no means the same sort of lows as they are. Sometimes, perhaps not the same highs either. But I think the big difference is the fact that I'm present through all of them. And I think that's sometimes the element that I perhaps miss most from alcohol as well. It's kind of people go, "Do you miss? Do you miss drinking, or do you miss that sensation, and do you miss the taste?" and you know, I'm quite happy to drink some of the alcohol-free beers. I don't see those as having an effect. I don't have a placebo effect from those. I don't really go onto the spirits or the wines because they, they, though they aren't really like the real thing, they do seem to have a little bit of a uh, a buzzy feeling for me again. I feel like I'm going down the same sort of line. So I just try and stray away from those and not drinking it. So I'm seven years sober now, not a drop from that from that day, completely leaving that behind. But I do sometimes miss that sensation of being able to just have a shut-off moment, to be able to sort of almost have a break from what you're going through because we've been present all the time. You're present through those highs. You're present through those lows. And you have to ride that out regardless. You can't almost shy away or escape from those moments because life has its pitfalls and often life has a lot of a lot of negatives too. And you have to ride those out, you know, those moments of, of pain and things and work through those, which 
that's been one of the big, biggest lessons I've learned. I think it's how to manage it more. And exercise has certainly been a key component in that for me. Um, but one that I've had a bit of a fractured relationship with, I think, since since lockdown, which kind of all just, just shattered routines all over the place, didn't it? I think, for everybody. <laughs> and I keep blaming that as being the reason I maybe slipped a bit on my exercise and put a bit of weight back on. But I keep wondering how long I can keep blaming it, really, because we're looking, we're looking back on nearly three years ago now. <laughs> but I think it took so long to get those routines in place that having those stripped away all of a sudden, losing the gyms, getting shut, Although I live so close to the mountains, we were getting told not to go out into them by mountain rescue and various bits. And I worked, I was working through the lockdown, and so I was, I was always really my hours went through the roof. So I kind of didn't have the time for that either. I was kind of pushing towards trying to keep this business going, which again everybody else was on furlough. I felt like you were securing those jobs, and you were kind of in that that environment of just keeping the world moving in, in some way in a, in a small little fraction, I suppose. You know, it wasn't it definitely wasn't really at the same level as, as the NHS workers or some bits in there but it, it was a strange strange period where you it, it was quite far removed and really i think i sacrificed a lot of my personal outlets during that time that i've still struggled to rebuild um on some frontages but by all means i think the the, the journey with my mental health now is a lot smoother i understand a lot more of the, the symptoms i understand a lot more perhaps i'm going to have some of these lower days ride those out and again i'm not so harsh on myself with them either but i think I was always forecasting so far ahead all the time as well, where I wanted to be and setting myself these unmanageable goals and really punishing myself for not achieving all the time. That was perfectionist mantra. If I don't, if I don't hit that grade and that's it, you're a failure. And, but these days I find like my sobriety, I'm, I'm very much in that sort of one day at a time kind of mantra. I just, I just take life as it comes each day. We, we take on what's, what's, what's on that day and we push forward. You know, if I can keep my sobriety each night, then you know, I'll stay sober another day and, Although the AA journey didn't like what work out for me, I didn't fully identify with that path. I found my own sort of path and carved it out. And through exercise, through time outdoors, through sort of good food out there, again potentially still too much of it on occasion, but <laughs> but again enjoying that quite mindfulness experience and that absent-minded practice of of cooking and hiking and, and spending time in those environments. I think I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because I know for me after I could no longer use my eating disorder as a way to cope with life I started to use alcohol as a way to cope with life and I was a very much I am an overthinker um and I just didn't want to feel anything or think anything and I drank to blackout and it didn't take me much but I would constantly blackout and it would just be like a, oh you know it just happens but I think that by quitting drinking I had no option but to really understand myself better. And I think you've touched on it so many times. It's the relationship that you have with the thing, not the thing itself, and what that relationship does for you. Because that's why I think so many people did struggle in lockdown, because we cope with life by putting these band-aids on it, whether it be putting you know going going to the gym a lot or whether it's eating or whether it's you know smoking whether it's drinking it can be anything and when those things are taken away from us that's when we have to have no other choice but to know ourselves or choose another option and I think it's so much easier sometimes to choose the other option instead of inquiring what is the thing that I am needing this for or need it, or that I can't cope with on my own and I think that it's it's a really easy thing to do unconsciously because we're so used to being told you know 
even on the positive side, you just need to get your five a day, go to the gym four times a week, think positive thoughts, only positive thoughts, no ever, like never be mean to yourself, all of these, you know, we have all these structures and all these things we should be doing. But actually, it is about understanding that we are so different. And experimenting and giving ourselves the compassion to be able to change our mind that you know if if you didn't allow yourself that you know that ability to be able to change your mind you'd be an AA and feel still feel that sense of this isn't quite me this doesn't quite fit but you're doing it because you feel like you should and therefore it's you're you're in you're on rocky ground whereas you found you are technically on rocky ground because you're up a mountain but you have found your your um good term you know the good way of of moving forward for you and I think that that message for anybody listening is the really important one because we are all different and we have to figure out what works for us and what we are striving towards no for sure it's it's something that I think that's not the sort of vice the vice thing I mentioned before I think in terms of you know, finding your voice. I think you've always got to have some sort of outlet. Certainly for myself, speaking from you know what what I'm going through, what I still suffer from, and sometimes it's kind of that 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 is my outlet for that sort of purpose. But I suppose there could be the argument as well of not not always facing the root cause of those things sometimes. But I think it's it's just learning what what works best for you. And I think certainly when it was all negative, destructive tendencies, you know, there, there was no way I was going to be repairing or, or moving forward in that environment so again even like the the physical environment i was in at the time of being in that city it felt like things were very open to me there was a lot of options there i felt as if i could hide in the city a lot more the job i was in was kind of you know it was providing that outlet where you know i couldn't have turned up like i did in an office job and you know, i was like stinking pie out of booze every morning like it just wouldn't have happened but in the pub environment it was kind of there well there we are we're sort of you know i'm, I'm just doing a bit likely i'm there i had a coffee cup behind the bar that was often filled with drink from the minute I got up and it was just it was able to slip through and those were people coming open the doors they're having a drink so it was just easy to mask over those paths so I think sometimes that environment as well which can be a very difficult one uh, and relationships with other people I mean, it was there's a lot of things that had to get severed really for that for that moment of change um but pushing ahead and pushing further to try and make that positive moment and as, as you say with certain outlets I mean food is certainly one that's still a struggle now I think in terms of the moderation I think whether you know, they, they talk about these predictive personalities, don't they? Sometimes, whether, whether medically proven or medically unproven, now it's kind of for me. I've certainly had that aspect where I think I just do struggle with moderation, where I've always maybe gone too far, all or nothing type approach, whether it's with my drinking, with alcohol, I've been there with exercise before. And I mean, that's somewhere I'd like to get back to. <laughs> but food wise, too, that was certainly what I fell back on. I think, you know, there was a lot of temptation to drink again through that period, um, just to really give yourself a break for a day and almost allow it to just go through passed faster it just it almost sped up time in a way alcohol i found i mean i didn't i didn't like i didn't really fall into in with the drugs crowd for that same reason because it felt a little bit too fast for me it was a bit too naught to 60 but alcohol allowed that sort of slow and steady demise and that shut off into each day that just allowed a moment of peace and clarity in my mind almost through through just inebriation but lockdown there was a lot of that temptation to ride that again and just see see those days away but Frankly, I didn't fall back on those moments, but I certainly not having the the outlets for exercise as much. I couldn't get into the home workout stuff. I'm very much someone I didn't really drink, drink at home, and I was a drinker. I always had to go to an environment to do a different activity. But I fell back on food, and I think food was something that really saw me through that period. Um, as a comfort, I suppose eating too much put a lot of weight back on, and something that 
although mentally I never felt as if I, I went back to those those darker, dark, um, deep, deep sort of trenches. It was just the way of getting through another day again. So, yeah, it's, it's strange being reflective, isn't it, looking back? <laughs> it's so easy to, to look back and be like, well, I shouldn't, you know, I, should, I shouldn't have done that. It's so easy for us to do that. But I think it's really important to be like, those are the things that help to get us through. And even if those things, you know, even if you take it right back to alcohol, alcohol got you through so many years. And it's not that it's, you know, yay, we should all celebrate that. But it's just recognizing that it isn't, it doesn't have to be a black and white thing. And I think that although we can, with like hindsight, we can recognize that things aren't good for us and, you know, we could have done things better that is what happened that is how we got through those moments and if we didn't have those moments we wouldn't be able to have the perspective that we have now and learn more about ourselves and I I find it really interesting because somebody asked me once like would you if you could take back you know all of the stuff that had happened to you would you and I was like well no because I wouldn't be here I'd probably have done my plan and be in London and Try, be trying to make it on the West End stage like I wouldn't be I wouldn't be trying dedicating my life to helping other people you know it, and I think that although it, it's okay to mourn the parts of us that we feel like we've lost like I I do I can really resonate with what you what you said in terms of like no, I just wanted to numb out but I also found myself to be much more creative when I was drinking you know I basically wrote a lot of my book that I self-published with a bit of a rum in hand you know, I and I feel like I may have lost some of that. And it's okay to grieve it. And it's okay to look back and reflect on it. But it's also okay to for us to be really proud of ourselves to be where we are at the same time and, and have all of those complicated feelings all at once. Because I think that's the messiness of being human. It's such a valid point, And it's one that I, I do bring it often. Um, and again, especially during that lockdown period, there was many people that were beating themselves up, I think, for losing routines or through drinking a bit much or football, not keeping up those routines they had before. But as you say, it's just having a bit more kindness to yourself and going through such an uncertain period in that. But likewise, taking it further back, exactly the same for me. Like I've been asked that question before, would you change it? What would you say to your younger self? And I often just say, well, he wouldn't listen. You know, I, I wouldn't have listened back then. And this was kind of the path I had to go through. And Really, as you say, alcohol was my, my, my get out. And although it's 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 hard to look back at, and there was some inheritance I had from a great uncle that you know my, my mum often brings up in sort of <laughs> thinking, oh, you had that head start. Where did it go? And it's kind of like, well, yeah, but it's also that was almost an investment to keep me here on on this mortal coil. It was like I wouldn't have probably gone through. There was days where I just didn't want to be here at all, and that was kind of my way of fighting through another day was just shutting off from that world. So without that outlet either it would be something worse or it would have been you know it, it would have been a different different solution so mm. it's a difficult one because of course you'd think logically well you'd change that bad behavior wouldn't you but it's also something that brings you to where you are now and as you say perhaps sometimes that mindset can be a bit of a curse too because whilst i think we can be more receptive to some of these these outlets and these vices it, you also sometimes have the upside of that maybe increased creativity as you say or or the more analytical mind, or perhaps even the more thoughtfulness, or, or just or just awareness sometimes that perhaps if you're just on that level playing all the time, you don't have those other elements. You just you just ride ride a still a still lake rather than a choppy sea. <laughs> mm. 
did you ever have to do the um exercise so when I was in the priory I made friends with some of the alcoholics in there um and because as you do you just make friends with all the other inpatients um tried to start a relationship with one of the cocaine addicts but that was another story for another time um (laughs) but um, they had to do this exercise of having to sum up how much they spent on alcohol uh, like a week or a month a year etc and I did the same because at that point I was bulimic binge eating disorder and I I would go and spend 100 pounds in a shop then I go to another shop and spend another hundred pounds and that, that would be gone that night. And then I do the same again and can definitely like relate to you in terms of just squandering the money away. Did you ever have to do that in AA? Cause I think that in itself, it's a very eye opening thing. But as you say, I think the way that you just described that is such a beautiful way of looking at it because it, it takes away that judgment. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I, I also feel the fact that, it's grand sort of looking back at this now and sort of testing and sort of thing. There's always people that are always lucky to get to those spots too. So they wouldn't have that same sort of investment, would they? It would be a failed investment to some degree, or they'd be trying to get through each moment, but they wouldn't make it out the other side. And it's a very difficult one with the, with the substance side of things when you do speak to people who've gone through those or you've spoken to like-minded people because, again, there are some that are very much still in the fight that, that can't see the other side out and don't make the other side. And again, where they burn those bridges before they come to a point and, it's a really it's one of those unanswerable questions sometimes that you can't there's no definitive definitive escape from those moments but i didn't do that particular exercise in itself and i suppose at the time and i wasn't earning a lot of money i was just, just a barman at the time and i was i'm sort of already wrapped up in student debt didn't have any money sort of family-wise or single parent um mom and just kind of was working away what i had that would all just go on the drink but i suppose the situation i was in was I was working in that environment, so I had access a bit to what was there. So perhaps you know, I was I was pinching a lot more. I was probably stealing. It would be the would be the terminology, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm good friends with my old boss these days, but I mean, I suppose I was just pints on the sly, bits in there, or again, punters would buy you drink. You'd add those all up. You'd always take the drinks off. You go, you make bits out. I took ones that weren't, weren't welcome. I'd sort of you know fill up from the drip trays. You know, if I was in town, I was a lot of friends in the bars in town. I knew everywhere that would do sort of like a line clean night or again, if someone ordered the wrong drink, I was known as this sort of almost human vacuum cleaner. It would just be on the end of the bar for me and I'd just waste not want that type of thing. Although again, like my food, I was someone that did appreciate the quality of some alcohol and the craft side of things from a high quality alcoholic products. Likewise, with my food, I appreciated the craft that went into those products. But I'd also take whatever was going at the time. So it was kind of... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> although i probably didn't spend as much as maybe other bits because i was sort of pillaging where i went and finding sources of the quota as i dubbed it each day so but again there was moments where you were lending money here and there so again i was weekly pay at the time so you always didn't have too far to go for the next fix um but when i lived in the pub there'd be days i'd go in if i hadn't quite made that quota each night the pubs would close before i got home then i'd be back in the opening the bar up and just literally filling up off the top shelf and just taking this nightcap, which was probably a, a half pint, pint full of spirit. Like, it's just, just crazy, really. So I think perhaps, you know, I'd have spent, I'd have spent a lot more if I was actually buying the stuff sometimes. But likewise, I wasn't drinking at home, so I was always spending out. I was always out and about, so you're paying that higher markup on things too. But, yeah, I mean, it must be. It must be. It's a shed ton, isn't it, really, the, the amount that goes through. But that would have only increased further or not at all. But. No, a powerful, powerful exercise, I think, sometimes to visualise the full extent because we sometimes don't comprehend 
the, the build-up or the compound effect, I guess, of how much that goes in and plus the unit side. I mean, even how much I was drinking there. I mean, there was one time I think I, you know, I hadn't registered at the doctors in York. I'd been living there six years. I think eventually I decided oh, I'll register for the doctor. I don't want to go. I'll just register, just change my records. I think basically my, my local doctors were saying, well, you don't live here anymore, so you need to sort of move on. <laughs> and um, I think I registered at the time. And they did sort of the little, the, just the general, what's your height, what's your weight, what's this, you know, how much do you drink a week? And I think I said to them, oh, um, what, you know, do you want the honest one? And I wasn't hiding this at the time. Again, I was quite proud of how much I could put away, which these days, looking back, you know, it's used to wear it on my, my chest, but these days I'd be like, well, who cares you know, about that? There's no, there's no pride in that. I think I turned around at the time and was like, oh, right, okay, well, um, have you got a calculator? <laughs> sort of trying to work out what it was each day. And I think it was a straight away. She was going back, well, you do qualify. I to this, this. So I have a little warning uh, leaflet being sent out and stuff. But, again, yeah, I didn't see it initially. I just, you know, then it was kind of like, oh, and it's just fancy dancy. It was kind of like, oh, yeah, well, if you're drinking in excess of eight units a week, it was probably a problem. So, of course, you're going to fall in that requirement. But it just... Yeah, the, the AA side kind of, I, I enjoyed going there at the start. I enjoyed the like-minded nature of it and being there with other addicts and being able to sort of share things that they could they could relate to and understand that perhaps my friends probably, you know, would listen and stuff, my family would listen, but they couldn't always comprehend the actual lifestyle of what was going on. But I just didn't get too on board with, with the blame culture on alcohol and also perhaps the religious nature of it as well at times, which I think it was very much an individual thing. Just for me, I didn't quite see that path out and went for a bit, but did incidentally find that when I've looked back at where I've been through, I kind of followed those those 12 steps in my own way. Although I hadn't physically mm -hmm. gone through that path pattern and that sort of method, there was still quite a natural path of coming off alcohol, coming out of addiction, so to wanting to right the wrongs and seeking sort of forgiveness from others and paying that back and, you know, making the change and, and coming clean for that. And even these days, as well as these days, I talk a lot at schools, I talk a lot at universities, I mean, podcasts and speak very openly about what I've been through. And that was sort of the final step was kind of giving back to those who are still suffering. And I feel that's currently what, what I do now and it's kind of what I do feel is more of a purpose these days. I felt for so long I felt so lost and didn't feel as I had a purpose in life. And these days I think if I can share a relatable tale to someone that's still suffering or suffering a worse point than I am, then that has great value, really. So that kind of gives me um, a bit of ammunition to, to sort of push on and, and carry on this new path that I'm on these days. You said when you first kind of stepped out and you were on the mountains and you were almost kind of looking for that, like that penance, that forgiveness. Do you feel like now with all the work that you do and like all of this journey, do you feel like you found that now? There was moments of, along the way that I think you, you, you did feel as if you'd hit those moments of, of, of forgiveness or, or, or redemption, sort of the, the redemption arc, I think I sort of felt as I was in at the time. And it was kind of <laughs> feeling like I was going from my 80s Rocky, Rocky montage, running up these hills with the, the power balance bouncing out and going, I'll make, I'll make this change, I'll do it through the rain and all sorts in the darkness. And <laughs> it was kind of, I, mean, I, I wish I sort of had that sort of motivation now really for that really. Obviously I was in quite a, a very focused point, but... There were some bits that I suppose, you know, likewise, you almost try to go, you know, forgive me or have that apology, especially that ex-partner, which you wouldn't get back in return either. And it was kind of one that you can't force those moments sometimes. And sometimes those bridges are unrepairable. And as time went on, that, that, that never rekindled that relationship. And um, you know, I came to terms with that and sort of then really sort of began to appreciate 
how much this change was for me really and how for me and those that are in my life now and it was one of those that you kind of almost had to really forgive yourself in a way it was something that I still didn't really condone and still find it a, a difficult realistic scenario that, I, that, I've, that I've that I've done but it's still it's me and I had to account that for now but I can't keep beating myself up about it like I've tried to move forward from that I've tried to put right the wrongs my life has very much changed I think again another quote I used to love was change behavior being the best apology and sort of stuff it wasn't just me saying these words empty words you know physically I made a huge change I mean within that space of a year I was climbing these mountains I was running I ended up running a marathon in the end I'd, I'd shed seven stone I was a year sober cigarettes off the way I was a just a very different physically looking person as well so it was quite obvious from the outside you know that that gone through this sort of this, this this transformation if you will that less so now looking back I think <laughs> but uh, we're working on that bit but it's um it was something that I think for a while it, you had to almost forgive yourself some of those bits um as time went on I mean it wasn't an instant thing it wasn't again a couple of weeks ago and all they haven't they haven't they haven't uh forgiven me yet it's been two weeks it was kind of, you know, this was now a year and a half, two years in, and still I, I was living a very different life, was was away from that lifestyle I was leading, and you still weren't getting that sort of forgiveness turn. So I think you had to kind of come to terms with that. But then but then it came. It came in the end. It was kind of a path that it, it very much felt like a, a real chapter sort of ending at that point where I did have some contact on my second year or so, which will actually share this journey in its entirety now on that anonymous Instagram page, on the Fell Foodie page. I shared this for the first time now publicly out there and that was seen and I did have some communication back with that ex-partner and and there was sort of that message and it was always sort of, you know, I knew you could make this change and I did believe you could do this and, and it felt like a real, you know, that was the moment I was really pushing towards and if that had happened any earlier on, I think I'd have seen that as, you know, a moment of hope and still chasing but at the time I was quite content and I felt as if I was in this new path and moving forward and I... I, I did really need to hear that. It was really that chapter that sort of was closing that, again, I was very lucky to, to receive because really she was a hugely selfless individual at the start, really sort of putting herself out there to try and help me, even though really she hated my guts and didn't want anything to do with me. And a lot of people would have moved on and just really cut 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 ties completely. And, you know, it's one of those that you, you will be grateful for. But, again, receiving that message two years down the line, well, I felt as if I'd repair those friendship relationships, repair those family relationships, repaired the fact I'd left my previous employers in the lurch and how much bar times I'd left open in your all bits like that. I'd, I'd repaired those and I'd, and I'd got that, you know, it's okay. It's water under the bridge. But that was the one open door and, and it was closed eventually. And, and yeah, it was a very, it was a very at peace, a very at peace moment. That forgiving yourself piece as well is such an important one. As, and I think that sometimes that's, that's the hardest one um too but you mentioned at the start of this that it's kind of happened you followed what you love and you've created this this life this world what's next for the fell foodie what what do you want this to be is it more of the same is there things that are coming up that we all need to keep eyes out for <laughs> this sounds like a bit of a business strategy coach question now doesn't it i think it's a <laughs> <laughs> one that they uh they never really like they never really like me because I just I'm very floaty these days I think I very much just trust the journey is what I, I always sort of push on for now I think again in that whole turnaround I just kind of let 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 happen what let happen I made little changes where I could but also took opportunity where it came out and just was very open to two different moments in life and I suppose that was kind of a a bit of a spiritual phase that I think I did go through at one point which 
still sort of sort of sit by, but not to the full extent, I think. But even the, even finding myself in the Lake District was something that I never really, you know, I never started moving to the lakes. That's where I want to be. It just sort of ended up. I met someone in the area that I ended up getting a job with. My friend got me a job in a local cafe here. I met some owners of another business, and they kind of wanted to hire me. It was kind of right. Well, I'm not really living here, and I don't drive, so I live about an hour and a half away. So I don't want to be here. But and you sort of again, they kept knocking on the door, and again, that opportunity sort of kept being there. And you go, well, I'm either turning this down, or I'm taking it now. So you just sort of again trusted the fact that it was still knocking, the opportunity was still coming, and I thought I'll take that path and. You know, I still live in this area now, and it's become this new entity. I said, I suppose, of something that that new passion came from it, sort of the outdoor cooking element of being in this area and using those fells so much as as a, a means of recovery and as a healing practice. So, so again, yeah, it's very much one day at a time. I haven't really got any um, outward visions. I think you know, at one point I was striving towards you know these goals ten years ahead, and if I didn't make them, then that was it. I was kind of going to be so harsh on myself not being there, or the ultimate punishment to myself perhaps. And, these days, I'm just I just see see where it goes. I kind of just take each path. I take each opportunity. I'm very thankful for each one. I don't know who I'm going to meet tomorrow. I don't know what's going to come about. And I quite like that about it. Sometimes I quite like that. There's got to be a bit of forecasting, of course, in life. But there's got to be some plans ahead. Otherwise, you can't expect it all to land on your doorstep. And you've got to make that that look at times as well. But I also sometimes let it take its path. So, in the immediate future, I guess I, I, I'm I'm I'm, I'm Looking forward to being a, a published author for my debut book, which is something I never thought I'd really say. That's that's due to be published in October. Um, then again, all of these opportunities I've had from being able to talk at some wonderful festivals like where we met in Pembrokeshire at the Big Retreat, where I'll be back again there next year, hopefully, and some other festivals and all these things and stuff that I never envisioned. I never planned to get to these bits. I never planned to, to share these or build a following to speak to or to, to be able to I mean, I've share my story on, on publications and media and television it's just it's just all been absolutely just a very natural organic path that i appreciate there's got to be some element of perhaps even planning things ahead but i just kind of like to see where it goes as well to some extent and kind of just being me it's very difficult isn't it being defined by that's what you do or, or where you're going next and i kind of just allow myself to be sort of defined by the day sometimes <laughs> i'm just me essentially i'm just going to try and each bit but the book going ahead is definitely going to be one um and likewise hopefully some more mountains adventures and some fantastic meals and a great company and experiences of different people so one day at a time <laughs> i love it thank you so much for your insight your wisdom your experience and for sharing it with us if you could leave one message out in the echoes that might help somebody or something that you feel really passionate about, what would it be? I think for me, I think if I phrase this in terms of perhaps sometimes ask, you know, one thing you could ask yourself in the past, for example, one thing you could say to your past self that, you know, to try and make a change or to try and do something or a piece of wisdom or a piece of advice to pass back. So I suppose the echo to myself is one of the questions that people often ask me. Although I do say I don't think you'd listen. I don't think you'd listen to what I have to say. He was on that path, quite stubborn, probably still elements of that now. But the one thing I think I always come back to is just quite simply the word stay. Because I think for so long I, I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to be present. I didn't want to be alive. And looking at where I've got to from that day since, simply staying has resulted in things becoming better and, and okay. And those, those moments... 
easing. I mean, there's still there's still those troughs at times, but not to the same extent. So I think for somebody else, perhaps going through these elements or going feeling as if they're not worthwhile or you know feeling very alone, it's kind of just yeah, just just staying through that. Don't 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 make that decision too hasty. And that's that's perhaps quite simply the message I'd share. I think. And I think it's an incredible message. That's really amazing. So thank you. I will pop every way that people can find you all in the show notes, including um, any links we can update it as well to books and things like that, which is very exciting. Um, but I just want to say a huge thank you again for all your time and coming here and having a chat. And I'm yeah, really grateful to you. So thank you. Not at all. I'm very thankful for you as well. Thank you for having me on and it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode. I'm not going to lie, when Harrison said the word stay, it made me a little bit teary. I can really resonate with that idea and what he went through of needing to be anywhere else but where you are in that moment. And sometimes staying is the hardest thing that we have to do. But I thought it was a really beautiful thought and I hope that you found something in this podcast episode that has helped you and something that you found interesting. If you can do me one favor, it would just be to share this podcast. Give it a like or a rating, subscribe to it and pass it on to somebody who you think could really benefit from this conversation. Maybe somebody who you feel might be in the position that Harrison was. Or maybe able to resonate with some of the words that he has shared with us. I'm really looking forward to being back again next week for another episode of The Echoes. And I will see you again soon.